Wah! How we doing? Yeah. How we doing? All right. Welcome everybody to Ninja Week One. Everyone that's watching online, thank you for being here. Are we feeling good today? Are we feeling good? More like minimum security. It's my Kentucky Derby joke. Uh, right, let's stand up and read the Bible. It's way better. Here we go. Stand up. We're going to read, uh, I'm going to read Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45. I'm going to read this passage together. Let the buckets keep going through there if they are. Let's all read this together. Here we go. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's take a minute and pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage. I pray that as we look at this passage together, as we think about this, that it would change our lives forever. I pray that for some of us that the movement of serving and giving our lives away and being more like you would spark today in a new way. I thank you for those that serve you and serve others so well. I pray that more people would. I pray that you would use um, what I'm about to share and what we're about to do in this room I, uh, for your glory so that more people can uh, gain access to you and experience you and experience life uh, eternally and fully the way that you intended from the beginning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. So we call this series Ninja because I was reading uh, through the book of Psalms and I came upon this, this psalm in Psalm 18. Psalm is a bunch of poems in the Old Testament, uh, a lot of them written by King David as he was going through different seasons of his life, seasons of mourning, seasons of victory and battle and all different types of things. And one of the things he, he said was this about God. He says, with your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. And I thought that was really cool when it says that with God's help, I can scale a wall. And it made me think of a ninja. It made me think of American Ninja Warrior and how these people have these amazing skills. And they have this ability to like do things that we all look back and go, that's incredible. That, that's like, how do they do that? How do they, how do they come up with that? How do they exercise for that? How do they do that? They seem so skillful. They seem so amazing and so I thought that we would talk about how every single one of us, all of us, every person is called by God to do something um, that is so remarkable that with God's help 
we can do it. And when people look at it, they go, wow, that's incredible. I mean, every single one of us has the opportunity with God's help to become more than we thought we could become, to do things that people step back and go, that's remarkable. And that's what Ninja is about because I believe that the key for you and me to experience the life that God wants for us, we need his help, we need to do things his way, we have to take his guidance, and we're gonna look at something today, and we're gonna look at this idea together of what it means to be a servant, and how we get to be a servant, and why we're called to be a servant, and God's picture for us, and how ultimately what that does is it makes us all like ninjas, that God like brings us in, and he gives us skills, and he gives us this encouragement, and he gives us this ability, and we get to do things and scale walls and change people, and it's just so cool, right? Like if you go over to the property, we're, we're building this building right now, there's these walls, and I think about how God can help us scale walls, and he could like, they're really tall, they're like 35 feet, but like with God, we can do that. And it's, it's one thing to be able to scale 35-foot walls. It's a whole other thing for us to become like Jesus, to gain a level of skill, to do what he does, to be a ninja in this world. And so that's what we're talking about today. And when I think about ninja, it's a little bit corny. I know you're like, no one's really a ninja. There's two, two things that I think about growing up right when I think of ninjas. The first one is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Can I get anybody in the room feeling the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Right, the heroes... Heroes in a Half Shell, Turtle Power. I mean, like, that's, that was a lot of fun. I remember the original, like, live animation, whatever you want to call it, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And really what the, the story is is that these turtles, uh, you find out later they have this crazy interaction with this radioactive goo, the secret of the ooze. And so they start to, like, morph and evolve, and they basically become these, like, half-human, half-ninja, half-turtle, like, creatures and basically they're really frustrated and they don't know what their purpose is in life and ultimately with their training and with their skill and their time and their abilities which at first feels like a burden because they're nothing like other turtles they they turn into what heroes heroes in a half shell turtle power like they become heroes they get this skill they gain it they do it and they they actually start to take all of their abilities all of their skill their burdens, their blessings, everything is good, everything is bad, and they leverage it to be a hero for people. They leverage it to make the world a better place. They go into the dark places, they go against all the bad people that are out in the world, and they fight. They fight the Foot Clan, they fight all these people, and they take them on, and they're, they're like the heroes, man. They like become these agents of change. So they have this high level of skill, an ability, and instead of using it to just make their life better, they leverage it to become helpful to society. And that's a cartoon, and I mean, it's not real, for any of you who are wondering, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just, it's just fiction. But the, the one that is real, of course, that we all have experienced, and we did more recently in the mid-2000s, was Christopher Nolan's take on Batman. Now that is real, that's a very real story, it's not fiction. Um, and the way Christopher Nolan tells that story shows us that Batman is, in fact, a ninja. He's a ninja. We learn that Batman is not like the Michael Keaton Batman who just shows up and says, I'm Batman. He, he's not. Like, he starts way back at the beginning where he's a confused billionaire who doesn't know his way, doesn't know what to do with all of his resources, doesn't know what his purpose in life is, and he goes to this place on the other side of the world, and he gets uh, essentially tortured and trained to become part of the League of Shadows, and he becomes a legit bona fide ninja. 
and he does stuff and he has feel and skill that just puts him above all the rest. And so now when he goes onto the scene and he comes back home and he leverages his influence and his money and his resources and his newfound skills and talents, he can become and leverage all of this great stuff to become the Dark Knight, to become Batman. And of course, the Dark Knight, we learn in that Christopher Nolan series that the Dark Knight is a hero. He's a hero that is the hero that we need, maybe not the hero that we want. He's the hero that is able to take on whatever the world needs so that it can become a better place. And so at the end of the Dark Knight, the amazing one with the Joker, we learn that he becomes the bad guy so that the Gotham City can thrive. He becomes the scapegoat. And he says, whatever, if I have to be the scapegoat, that's the kind of hero that this place needs, I'll be that. It, it shifts back and forth. He basically becomes whatever it is that the world needs him to be in order to make the influence that he can. We see this hero stuff all over. I mean, Wonder Woman came out and we're like, whoa, like, look at that. Like, she takes all the stuff, her confusing background, she leverages it, she brings power, she makes change. I mean, uh, you know, Endgame just came out. We look at these guys, they take all their powers and all their abilities, and ultimately, the story of this whole, uh, you know, the, uh, what is it, the Infinity Saga, if you will, is all about this horrific thing where all the people in the world could, you know, potentially die, or at least half of them. And so all of the heroes leverage every single one of their talents to keep people alive, to become heroes, to, to fix the brokenness. And so we all have an ability, we all have an opportunity to be that. And it's not always going to look and probably won't, maybe for some of you, it'll look like Batman, it'll look like Wonder Woman, it'll look like, I don't know, you'll think it'll look like. We love those stories because it basically takes this hope that humans have to make a difference, to be successful in the world, and it personifies it. And so we identify with what could we do, what could we bring to kind of make the world a better place. And that's why we love heroes, man, because they take what they have and offer it for the betterment of society. And so they become this, this amazing, you know, group of people in our minds. And the reality is, is that, you know, we all don't have like a real Batman or a real Spider-Man or whatever, or whoever it is in your life, but we all do have heroes. We all do have heroes. And if you look back in your life, just think about someone who moved into your space, moved into your context, moved into your world, and leveraged their time their talents, their skills for your, I'll call it, salvation. They, they, they took who they were, they took what they had to offer, they leveraged it so that you could have a better tomorrow. I mean, if you're here today, you probably have a hero. Just think about who that is. Think about what they did for you. What they did for you is they figured out somewhere along the way that what they were gonna do was leverage what they have so that your life could get better. It's an amazing idea. Isn't it amazing to think that your life got better because someone started out one day or one month or had an experience, they started it out and they went, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna leverage who I am to make someone's life better and then you were the recipient of that time. You were the recipient of that effort. That's amazing. You have people in your life who are real heroes. For some people, this is like a teacher. 
This is a coach. It might be your mom and dad. It might be grandparents. It might be a friend. It might be a college roommate. It might be a coworker. It might be a pastor or a minister or a small group leader. Like you have heroes who literally do the things, all the movies that we all go spend billions of dollars to watch. We have real life people that do that all around us. If you're here today, it, it, chances are, because we're in church, at some point you didn't want to go to church, you weren't going to go to church, you didn't have to go to church, you didn't need to go to church, you didn't understand you need to go to church, you didn't understand you need God, you didn't understand you need saving, but at some point someone moved into your space, became a hero for you, leveraged who they were, so that you could have a better experience. Ultimately, if you think about that person, what you will see about that person is something remarkable. You'll see that that person probably has something in their life that you're looking for, and that is purpose. Purpose. They had a purpose. Their purpose was you. Their, their purpose was to make your life better. Their purpose was to improve things. Their purpose was to bring light into the darkness. Their purpose was to bring restoration. Their purpose was to make sure you know the truth. Their purpose was to hold your hand and walk through that valley with you. That, that's amazing. And so they had a purpose. They, they made an intentional decision to move into your life. And here's the thing that happens when that happens to us. When someone moves into our life and they become our hero and they, they do that with such intentionality, the purpose of someone moving into your life, that purpose is so that you would find the same purpose. So, so you're here today because you had a hero. And if you're here today, you're supposed to be a hero. You're supposed to be. You will actually find who you are meant to be when you decide to leverage who you are for the betterment of the people around you. Now that is a very counterintuitive idea. That is not what the world says. That's not the experience that most of us have. In fact, when I sit up here and talk about purpose, most of us think about how we can leverage who we are to be successful. Most people in the world around us, it communicates this idea. Success is the key to purpose, and here's what I mean. It's like this, if you become successful at whatever you set out, whatever ladder you're trying to climb, there's something inside of you that believes this. You believe that when you become successful, which means you've achieved whatever goal you put for yourself, it could be to make that money, it could be to get that degree, it could be to marry that person, it could be to buy that thing, it could be to start that business, it could be to buy that business, it could be anything. It could be to become that teacher or that doctor or to whatever it is, to start a business as a stay-at-home mom or just be a stay-at-home mom. You're like, finally I got here, I, didn't, I used to work and now I don't. Whatever it is, you can kind of paint, you go like, when I get to that, you can put your ladder up against a wall and say, when I get to the top of that wall, that's success. And what we believe as humans, and this is true, it's true for me, it's true for you. What we believe as humans is that when we achieve that success, whenever we get to that spot, that something will happen inside of us that makes us feel purpose. There it is. It'll be like, ah, the glove fits in the hand now. Now I'm satisfied, now I have success. So many of us live in the world and we go, I'm not gonna feel like I'm all I'm supposed to be, who I'm supposed to be, living how I'm supposed to be until I achieve some measure of success. I mean, this is why so many people who achieve levels of success, they have such a hard time after the success window closes. So many athletes, they're so successful, they hang their life on the fact that they're successful on the field, 
they get old like everybody does, and they got to hang it up, and they feel like they have no purpose anymore because somehow they didn't get there. I know so many people, most people who believe this, success is the key to purpose. And here's what I found. None of them actually experience purpose when their goal is just their individual success. None of them. It doesn't work. There's moments, there's flashes, there's gratitude, there's happiness at times when people achieve successes, and all that's fine. But what happens typically is when someone makes that money, or they achieve that goal, or they sell that thing, or they get that title, or they get that authority, or they just whatever it is, they make the money, they do the thing, they get to that thing and they go, something's missing. All of us know people who are successful in all different types of, of areas. You, you know people, I know people who have made millions of dollars. I know people who have sold millions of records. I know people who have bought large businesses and sold them. I know people who have started schools and churches and institutions of higher learning. I know people that have started missionary groups and church starting groups. I know all types of people who are successful in all types of ways, and so do you. And here's the thing that's true about all of them. If their goal is just success, when they achieve that success, they never truly feel like their life has the purpose it's supposed to because life is not just about your success and therefore if you make it about that, you'll never experience life the way you were designed to experience it. You never will. And all you have to do is make that your goal and all you have to do is run that rat race. All you have to do is climb that ladder and get up there and challenge what I'm saying right now and get to the top and believe that success will give you purpose and what you will find is what everyone else has found and that is that success does not fulfill your purpose. It does not make you feel holistic. You see, there's something that's supposed to happen with humans. There's something that's supposed to happen with humans where God moves into their life and something changes and their goals and their purpose all starts to clarify and they move their life, they move their steps in a way in which they wouldn't have otherwise if God didn't intervene and when they start to act like God and they start to look like God, they start to experience what the designer intended. And you and I were designed by God. He made us with a purpose. And when we start to do what he says we're supposed to do to feel and experience purpose, that's the only way it works. We don't get to redefine our purpose. We don't get to pick what the goal is. And every single one of us live in this trap. And so here's the deal with me. I don't believe that this works, and I've never seen it work. And I don't believe, I, I, I know anyone that would even honestly tell me that just being successful has made them feel purpose. And I have met people that have had the utmost success and they have had the utmost failure, and th this doesn't fill their purpose. And there's something else, even in failure, even in success, that can make you feel purpose that transcends it all. And that's what the passage that we started off today is talking about. That's what it was talking about. In the passage we looked at in Mark, we have an amazing storyline that's being told. And we have Jesus with his closest disciples he is about to go into Jerusalem and he's gonna be tried, convicted, and hung on a cross. And he says it to his disciples again. Now Jesus has already been spoken about and people are talking about him with the term, the term is Messiah, the idea is king. And so they believe, the disciples, they believe that Jesus is going to become a literal earthly king. They believe he will become a king. 
So when Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to go into Jerusalem, and I'm going to be uh, uh, basically arrested, and I'm going to be tortured, and then I'm going to be convicted, and then I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to, he actually says in Mark chapter 10, right before what we're going to look at, he says, and then I'll raise from the dead. The disciples don't hear any of that. All they are thinking is Jesus is going into the city, and he's going to be a literal king, and we want to be a part of his kingdom. See, ultimately what the disciples are doing is what you and I do all the time. They are believing that their purpose will be found in success, and they want to tie their boat to the Jesus success because they think that Jesus is going to go into the city and that he is going to bring a kingdom that looks like earthly kingdoms that looks like power and authority. Now what they know is that Rome is dominating the world that they live in. Rome has power, Rome has armies, Rome has money, Rome has influence. Rome dominates. If you mess with Rome, people get crucified. If you go along with Rome, you can live a happy and healthy life. If you, it may be. You have an opportunity to have success if you go with the kingdom of Rome. And they know how much power Rome has. They make all the roads. They have all the power. They have all the money. The king of Rome's picture is on the money. And they are looking at that as an example of what it will mean if Jesus takes the throne in power on earth. So the disciples go to Jesus like we already read. And they say, hey, they do this really funny thing that kids do. It's like my kids do this. Dad, I'm going to ask you something. Can you just say yes before I ask you, and then this whole conversation will be over? No. They're never going to say yes before you ask. They do that to Jesus. They basically go to Jesus, and sin sincerely what they're saying is, we want to get your attention right now when you go into the kingdom and you become this king, and you get all the armies, all the horses, all the money, and you have your own picture on the money, and you have your own castle, and you have your own throne, and you have your own roads, and you have all of that. When you go to that, can we be next to you? Because if we could be next to you, we will be at the top. We will have achieved success. We will have our purpose fulfilled Please, can you just tell us, just tell us right now that no matter what happens, yeah, we heard you're going to go die. They don't even hear the whole idea. They don't understand the death thing. What they have heard is, is they've heard he's the king and they're just doing selective hearing. They don't understand it. They understand kingship and they want to be a part of it. They want to be on the right and the left when Jesus is sitting on his throne. And if they can get there, then that's success. And that is the same thing that all of us think. They are thinking just like you and I. If we can get to the top of influence. These disciples are people who really didn't have any opportunity ever to have that type of success, to have that type of money, to have that type of power, to be associated with a king. Unbelievable, these are fishermen. They don't have that type of money. They don't have that type of influence. They're Jews, they're not Gentiles. Rome dominates. They just think, Imagine if the nation of Israel, if the kingdom of Israel had the type of power that Rome did and we were right there. Maybe it's like Jesus on the front of the coin, John's on the back, maybe of like the $10 bill. I mean, they're thinking that way. They're thinking that they are going to end up in a place of success. 
And what Jesus does when they come to him with this paradigm of success that represents the way all of us think, that success is the key to purpose, they'll find their purpose, they'll be who they're supposed to be when they become that successful. Imagine having that type of power, being next to the king, they think, that's my purpose, how could it be any better? They are actually thinking, if I sat on that throne, and this is what we all do, right? If I could just sit on that throne, I'd be right there. I have that power. Like, I'm in the room when they come and ask Jesus, like, questions and, like, decisions are made. And, and you know, ah, like, that would be amazing. We all do that, don't we? You have a picture in your mind of what success is. You believe that when you achieve that success, that you will feel purpose, that you will feel whole, that you will feel right. You have that in your mind. And what Jesus is about to do is go, everything you think about that success fulfilling you and giving you purpose is totally wrong. It's totally wrong. It's, it, it, it's nothing like you think. And so for us today, you have to get ready for a recalibration. Because he is going to completely redefine success. He's going to completely give you a new pathway towards your purpose. He is going to completely flip all of this around for us. And he is going to invite every single one of us to be a part of it. And every one of us is just like James, is just like John. We're thinking what it is, right? When you get that raise, oh, if if I get there, that's purpose. There's my purpose. I made that money. I have that title. I have that thing. You you think if I could just, you know, own that or I could marry them or I could drive that or whatever it is, just whatever that thing is that you're like, if I could achieve that, then I'll fulfill my purpose. That is where they are. And here is how Jesus answers that idea that all of us show up to him with. We all show up there because we don't understand the way that God wants his kingdom to operate. So here's what he says to him. Hey, can we sit next to you? Can we have that success? It will fulfill our purpose. Here's what he says. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Stop right there. They go, yeah. See, we hear that, and they heard it, and they went, yes, we know that Rome has the authority, that they lord it over everybody, and Jesus starts to pay. He goes, you know how it works, right? The normal authority structure, the normal power structure, they have authority, and then whatever they say, people do. And that gives them their purpose. The people that are in charge, that have the titles, and have the authorities, that are the Gentiles, that are the Romans, when they say stuff, it happens. They move and shift, they make the world go. And, and Jesus says that to, to the disciples who are like, can we be the ones who are part of your kingdom? And he goes, you know, that the way that the world works is that the people that are at the top, that those ones make decisions and they have all the influence and they have all the power and they just ask Jesus, can we be the ones that are that? Can we be that? And Jesus goes, that's the way it works. And they go, yeah, you're talking my language. Basically what they hear is, you know the way it works. It's like that Rome has all the chariots and the horses and so they think when Jesus starts talking like this that he's saying the same thing. Hey, when, when when we get into my kingdom, We're going to have all the power and all the authority, and we're going to tell everybody what to do, and that's what it's going to look like to be a king. It's just going to have power and authority. We're going to tell people what to do. If they don't serve us, then we're going to kill them. And they're sitting there. The disciples literally start drooling. Yes! We want to be. That's what we're saying, Jesus. Don't forget about us. We want to be part of that power structure that dominates, that has all that influence. Please, can we be a part of that? Can we be a part of that? You just described it. Yes, influence, power, authority, titles. That's what we want. 
Jesus goes, yeah, you know, just like they do, chariots, horses, Rome, all of it, you know? You know? You know what it's like? You know what kingdom, how kingdoms work, right? You get it, don't you? You get it, right? Okay, check it out. Not so with you. Huh? Wait a minute. Maybe we don't want you to say yes to this. <laughs> Maybe we don't want you to, to, to bring us into this because Jesus totally throws a wet blanket on the fire. He just ruins all the fun. Man, I thought you were a king. I thought, you, you know, we could be next to you. I thought we could have power. I thought that's how we find success. That's how we gain our purpose. Jesus says, no, nothing about that power structure, nothing about that way authority works, nothing about that. That is not what I'm about. Not even close. Not even close. And then he says these statements that are so profound, the gravity of them is impossible for us to wrap our arms around them today. We're just going to start. It's impossible for us to. But here's what Jesus says. Everything you thought, everything you want, everything you think success is about, every way you find your purpose is nothing like you thought. That's the way they do it, not so in my kingdom. Rome has the chariots, Rome has the horses, might is right, that's where the power is, that's where the muscle is, that's where the iron is, that's where the roads are. My kingdom is totally different. So if you wanna be a part of my kingdom, not so with you, not so. It's not gonna be that way. Instead, instead, whoever wants to become great, they're going, yep, yep, yeah, I wanna become great. We just asked you how to become great. How do we become great? You must be your servant. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to become great must be a servant, a servant. You wanna be great, serve. You want power, serve. You want authority, serve. My kingdom looks totally different. In that kingdom, everyone serves them. Everyone serves the king, everyone serves the, em the emperor. Everyone does that. In my kingdom, the king serves everyone. The king serves. And so if you're gonna be in my kingdom, it's not going to be anything like what you're asking for. Nothing like it. Not so with you. You need to become the servant of all. And then he makes a statement about himself. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Only one first. Jesus is the first. He's saying, I am going to be the first one who is the model for what my kingdom looks like. And he's starting to paint a picture of what his kingdom is, is going to look like in a couple of days. And ultimately, with this statement, what Jesus says is that you will never find your purpose in life doing things the way that Rome does things, doing things the way that classic authority structures function. Never. You never will. You'll never find your purpose. And he says, ultimately, the key to finding your purpose is service. Service is the key to purpose. When Jesus makes this statement, he turns the world's ideas about power and glory upside down and inside out. He says, my kingdom is totally different than any other type of kingdom, and if you wanna be a part of my kingdom, it looks different, it feels different. It just has this total different idea, it has a different orientation, it's not the way that it looks on earth, it's upside down, and it starts with me on a cross. 
And what Mark chapter 10 is doing is it is kind of a, 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 a prelude to what Jesus is about to go do. The disciples think that he's going to go to Jerusalem and sit on a throne, and he does go sit on a throne. He just doesn't go sit on the throne that they thought he would. He goes and sits on the throne of the cross, and there he's glorified, and he's glorified on a cross, and the reason he goes to a cross is because he is the first. So he is going to be the one that says, this is what it looks like to be in my kingdom. This is what it looks like to be like me to be the slave of all, to be the servant of all. Now, theologically, the reason that Jesus went to the cross is twofold, overly simplified, to forgive us of our sins, forgiveness, and to free us from death. So Jesus goes and hangs on a cross. The scriptures teach and all of the history of the Jews teach without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, there's no forgiveness of sin. So his blood is shed because he's serving. He is God, he is the king, and this king serves, so he's shedding his blood so that all can be forgiven. He is giving himself for the betterment of the people, and he dies on that cross. Then he raises from the dead to overcome death and offer that to anyone who follows him. He's the only one that can do that. And everybody needs that. So Jesus, perfect God in the flesh, surrenders himself and basically makes his throne a cross instead of the throne that they thought. And even more powerful than that, the picture of the cross and what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 10 shows us this multi-layered window that we look through when he says to the disciples who are asking, who's gonna sit next to me? It's not for me to determine, it's not for you to determine, that's not, that's not what it's about. Ultimately, what ends up happening is when Jesus is on the cross, the people that are on the right and the left of Jesus on the cross are the people that he's on the cross for. And so Jesus goes to the cross and he's hanging and that is his throne and it's a throne of forgiveness, it's a throne of freedom and the people that are next to him, listen to this, the people next to Jesus when he's on his throne on earth are the people who he's on earth for. Two criminals hanging on a cross. The savior of the world is taking all of their sins literally, representatively, spiritually, theologically, and he is taking the punishment and he is overcoming all of the death and the penalty for the people on his right and his left. And what Jesus says to James and John is he says, this is what my kingdom looks like. It looks like a king who doesn't come to just be served. He comes to serve. Who? The people on his right and his left. That needs to be you. So if you want to be a part of my kingdom, then you have to be like me. You have to do what I did. You have to take up your cross and follow me. You have to give your life away. That is what this kingdom looks like. It's nothing like you thought power looks like. And so the question for us today is we want to be Christians. We want to be followers of Christ. We want to emulate Jesus. We want to bring who he is into the world. We want to, we want to be that. We want to embody Jesus to the world. We want to do that. It has to look like this. My question for you is, do you, do, is, that, is that where you are? Is that where you are? I, I want to just camp on, on something for a second. And I, and I alluded to this. But think about all the kings of the world right now. Presidents, 
leaders of nations, leaders of giant corporations, all the kings, everyone. Think about why they're a king, what it looks like for them to be a king. People serve them. People pay them. Our king is in no uncertain terms, he's a servant. Think about that. The person at the top of the organizational chart of Christianity is a servant. Someone who on the cross gave his blood and his flesh so that we could have a better life. And he goes, that's what Christianity looks like. I'm God and I have to do this to make people's lives better and so I'm gonna do it. And that's what it looks like to look like God is to leverage who you are for the betterment of the people around you. Think about this, you guys. We're made in the image of God. Here's the picture of the story of God. God made a a, a world that was chaotic. He built it. He made it into something beautiful in creation. Creation fell and shattered and broke. So then Jesus steps back down into his creation to start to restore it, to make new creation, to take the things you and me, who are made in the image of him and this world that is a beautiful temple for us to be in to start to fix it and mold it and shape it and make it better. So God made the world beautiful, it broke, and then he remade it on the cross. So here's the deal. For us to look like Jesus, we have to be people that go into the spaces that we we are in and make it a better place. And the way you do that is through serving. The way you do that is you become good at leveraging who you are for the betterment of people around you. And when you do that, you experience your purpose because you're made in the image of God. God does that. You were made to do that. When you do like he does, you experience purpose. So success is not the road to purpose. Service is because when we do service, we look like God. Jesus. Here's the thing about this story, about this this truth, is that serving can be hard. Giving your life away, it is hard. I mean, Jesus, fully man, fully God, but fully human, he felt it all. He wept when his friend died. He wept when people were crying and mourning about that. When he went into the city, he got angry because of the way that they were operating the temple. He was human. He felt betrayal with a kiss from Judas. He felt the denial that Peter, you know, made and, and said when he was on trial. He felt all of that. He heard the Jewish leaders yelling crucify. He felt the whipped. He felt the flogging. He felt it all. He felt getting smacked. He felt the pain. He felt the nails in his hands. He felt the crown of thorns on his head. He felt it all. It was all excruciating. All of it. It was excruciating. It was awful. Service is difficult. That's what he did. But the reason that he did it was not because of the process, but because of the product. What Jesus did on the cross, and what he invites all of us to do is to leverage who we are for the betterment of the people, and ultimately, people who are servants at their heart, people who commit their way to be like Jesus, are fixated on helping people. They're fixated on it. 
Jesus went to the cross, felt it all, felt the nails, felt the pain, went through it all. The blood dripped down his face. He felt the betrayal. He felt the denial. He felt it all. It was excruciating emotionally, physically, socially, all of it. He lost everything. And the reason that he did that, you know, the reason that he did that was not because it made him look good. was not because he wanted that throne. It was because he knew that in order to take the creation that was messed up and put it back the way it was supposed to be, he would have to serve. And in serving on the cross, what he did is made a way for the reunion of humans and God to be beautiful. He made it possible. He restored us. He forgave us. He gave us new life. The scriptures say it this way, that Jesus' motivation through the excruciation was you and me coming back together in reunion. That's why he went through it. It says this way in the New Testament. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the first one, and the perfecter of faith, what it looks like to be a Christian, for the joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and now that he is at the right hand of the throne of God, you and I can have a relationship with him. And he went through all of that to restore a relationship. That was his joy. He's, he's, he's filled with joy because his creation that got broke is now back together. And servants are fixated on helping people get back to the way things are supposed to be. You know, you and I, we become most like God when we serve we look the most like Jesus through service. The most godly thing that you can do is leverage all you are to help put this broken world back together. When you do that, you know what you do? You sit next to Jesus. You sit next to Jesus. You're with him. Service is the key to purpose. The people who are in this church, the people who are making coffee and leading small groups for children and setting up everything that we do here, the people that do that and continually do that, they give their time, they give their energy, and you know what they do? They keep their eye on the ball. They keep their mind on you. You know that you are here today. You are here today. Because someone was given purpose by a hero, a ninja, someone who took all they are and they moved into your life. And the goal is that you do the same thing. There are people who came in here, they set these chairs up. You came and visited today, you may think that's a small thing, but you know that's not a small thing. You know why that's not a small thing? Because that's someone that got out of bed on Sunday morning hours earlier. Just so you, the joy of you. There are people in this church who they understand what it's like to be like God because they serve and they find their purpose. They set out a chair, they put up a screen, 
it gets cold, it gets rainy, kids poop. I mean, it's nuts. All kinds of stuff happens. And they just keep going. Why? Why? For the joy, for the joy of you. For you. Someone did that for you. Someone's doing that for you. Some of you are doing that for someone else. It's time for every person who calls themselves a Christian to do the Christian thing, to do the thing that looks like Christ, to become a servant. And you know what can happen? God can help you scale a wall. I, I could do a whole other sermon and probably will on the energy that comes from God's strength to do what he's purposed you to do. Just to know it's the greatest motivator in the world. The joy, the stories, the stories of people's lives being changed. It's incredible. So here's the deal. I want to show you six areas in this church where you can start to become a hero. You can start to make that type of a difference. You can start to serve. You can start to serve. And, and I'm going to show these to you. And these are just the areas. And if, if, if something's working in you, you need to, after the service is over, you need to leave here and you need to go out and talk to one of our staff members at the Purple Tent because they are there to talk to you. They're experts on all these different areas. And they can help you start to navigate. And next week, we have a call to action. We're gonna call every single person to move, to move into a posture of service, to move into that, that holistic, purposeful life that Jesus said is, is the only way through service. So, so you get to do that. And, and, I, and I wanna make sure that everyone understands People that are in industry, people that are in the marketplace, even those that make money by helping people, they find that purpose. You can find that purpose because you become most like God when you leverage all you are for the betterment of the people around you. But you can do that here in this church, and this church needs you to, and this church is going to grow dramatically when we move, and we need to be the ninjas, we need to be the squad, we need to be the ones who are ready to receive them for the joy of what's gonna happen in their lives because we decided to become heroes for them. So I'm gonna say a prayer and I want you to think about this and next week you're gonna come back and you're gonna actually make a decision. You're gonna mark something down and move towards this goal. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you, you're the picture, God. You, you are, you're the picture of salvation. You are. You're the picture of what it looks like to be a follower. You're the picture of what it looks like to be a, a, you know, a person that follows Jesus. Help every single one of us to have our hearts moved and, and changed. Help us to find our purpose. Help us to find ourselves in service. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Watch this.
Our students, our students, our high school students are going to Passion Camp, and Passion Camp is a, a better camp. It's a better use of time, resources than any camp you could ever send a kid to. Um, football camp is great, soccer camp, cheerleading camp, it's all great. Nothing compares to sending a high school student to a week of camp that is focused on developing their relationship with God. That is what matters more than anything else in the world. And, and so we are sending 85, 85 high school kids to camp. And here's the deal, yep. Here's the deal, and I want everyone to listen to this if you're watching online, every single person to, to kind of just engage in this for a second, because here's another way that you can use your resources and you can leverage all you are to become like Christ. And it is to sponsor a student to go to camp. Camp is very expensive, it costs $600. And we never want a kid who wants to go to camp not to be able to go to camp. The church already gives thousands of dollars of our annual budget to make sure that we can pay for buses, that we can have kids go to camp, leaders go to camp to subsidize costs. But every year we have a need for some students that need someone to help them go to camp. And so I wanna just challenge anyone that's in here, if God's put it on your heart, to give financially and go online and do it, 514church.com backslash sponsor, and you can help send a kid to camp. And the, uh, the analogies, the stories, the the, the anecdotes of what happens to students when they go to camp are endless. We have kids that would have never received Christ. We have kids that come back from camp and their parents freak out. They call us on the phone. They're like, why is Jimmy like saying thank you and being kind and like, what happened? What'd you do to him? I mean, I'm not joking. I've literally had a parent call and be like, what happens at camp? Like, what happened there? Did they get like, you know, like hypnotized or something? Like. We believe in this, and we know that a week of camp can change someone's life, and you can be a part of that. Don't let a kid not be able to go. We need your help, so go ahead and give financially and help all 85 kids have the best week of their life. We will see you guys next week. I'd go back to you